Okay. Okay, well, let me get started, and Emily, the other Emily will try to figure out her audio real quick. Um, we're, we worked together on an article for the VISTI Journal in a class together. It's called Education 521 at University of Mary Washington. And the article is The New Literacy Crisis, Immigrants Teaching Natives in the Digital Age. And there's a link to the article on the first page. You don't actually need to go to it right now. It's kind of long, so you really don't want to get into it. Uh, but basically, we were looking at the digital immigrants, maybe people you know, 30 plus, maybe higher, that didn't grow up with having technology and having access to some of the newer things, teaching kids that have never known anything but technology. And so I think, Emily, are you ready to take over? I think so. How am I sounding now? Perfect. OK. And so I couldn't quite hear the last part. Did you just do the introduction? OK. So as Emily just said, I believe we wrote an article in 2007. And we were very excited to have it published with VISTI. And so here we are today in 2010 to summarize what we did and also talk about what's happened since then and where we are now. So in our article, we kind of had three basic sections. The first being, who are the digital natives? And to talk about that is Lynn Slater. Hi, I'm Lynn Slater. I'm a business teacher in Spotsylvania County, Virginia. And I'm going to talk about who the digital natives really are. The digital native is a person who's grown up with digital technologies, as opposed to the digital immigrant who did not grow up with technology but adopted it later on. The millennial, or a person born after 1980, are often referred to as digital natives. The term digital natives and digital immigrants were coined by Mark Prinsky in 2001. Uh, basically, the digital native is a person who has not known life without cable TV, without cell phones, instant modes of communication, videos, video games. They have a comfort level with technology that is transparent and inherent, and they're just used to technology. They can, you can't hear me? They're the kids that can program the VCR for the, the people that don't know how. <laughs> okay. Okay. The next section of our article, just to summarize, is what does it mean to be digitally I can't say that word tonight. Digitally literate. And this is really our main point. What is it? What is digital literacy? Um, there's a difference between being a digital native and being familiar with technology and savvy and knowing how to use it and actually being literate with the technology. And in our article, we compare this to children learning to speak. Um, children learn naturally to speak and become fluent in a language, but they're not literate. They have to go to school to learn to read and write and become literate in that language. And the, the same is true for the digital world and the technology of today. Our students need to be educated in using critical thinking and information literacy with the technology that they're so comfortable with. And that's where we come in as teachers. Um, we need to help them bridge that gap and become literate in technology, not just fluent. Um, and when we talk about information literacy, there are a lot of definitions out there. The definition that we put together, and I'm going to skip ahead a minute, for information literacy in our article is, as you see here, information literacy can be defined as the ability to articulate a problem to be investigated, locate and assemble information, scrutinize gathered resources, process and apply information towards a solution, and contemplate the effectiveness of this entire process. So it's a big definition, and there's a lot of variations on this out there. So we tried to kind of come up with one comprehensive definition that covers the full meaning of information literacy. Um, I think, and we think as authors, that teachers can really help students move from fluency to literacy 
by modeling these skills across all of the subject areas in a really structured manner. And by implementing them into every content area and using um, a consistent method to help them do that. And so we came up with a method that we call Discover. And it's a mnemonic. And it stands for define, inquire, search, collect, organize, verify, express, and reflect. And actually, having come back together after three years, we've all realized that this is a pretty long mnemonic. And we would probably go back, revisit it, and try to consolidate it. But there really are a lot of steps to um, working with information efficiently and critically. And so we tried to cover them here. And just to walk you through this process, the D stands for define. and Basically, when you start to look for information, you want to know what it is you're looking for. You need to look in a lot of different places, both online and offline. Um, today, a lot of students jump right to the Internet and don't look any further. And there are still so many things out there other than technology resources, and we need to combine both things. So define is very important. The next step is inquire or identify. Inquire about different resources, what are they, where are they, what are some different things you can do to find information, again, online and offline. The S stands for search, and that is where you're actually going out and looking for your information. Again, look in many different places. Collect is our C, and as you're searching, you need to be collecting and citing everything that you're doing. Um, one step further is to take the information you've collected and organize it, weed out things that you don't need that aren't as important, keep the things that are critical to what your problem is that you're trying to solve. Verify is our V, which I think is very important. Um, we need to know that the sources we're using for information are authentic and reliable, and I think that's something a lot of students are really deficient in, and this is where our critical thinking Skills apply, and as teachers, we need to show our students how to do this, how to verify whether the information they're getting is valid or not. The E stands for express, and again, critical thinking, one of the best ways to really learn something is to apply it yourself, to teach it to others, to express what you have found, what you have organized and analyzed to others, communicate and share your findings. And the last step, which is also very important, is to reflect. Look back over everything you did throughout the process, refine it, um, redefine it, look again if you need to, did you um, meet all of your goals, etc. So that is the process that we came up with. And that leads into the third portion of our article, which I have to go back to now, which is how do we actually teach information literacy to the digital natives? And so I'm going to hand the microphone over to Emily. This whole presentation has been sort of an experiment with uh, experience with digital immigrants and digital natives. It's like learning how to use something new and taking a risk. And I feel like we're really definitely taking a risk by we're taking a risk with uh, doing this. I see too soft, hard to hear. Okay, working on it. Is that any better? Yes, is that better? Okay. Um, looking at how we teach information literacy to digital natives, is that better? <laughs> yes, okay, resounding 41 yeses. <laughs> uh, we definitely feel like digital immigrants tonight trying to figure out this new platform. Um, when you're looking at how to teach the digital natives, you first have to acknowledge that there's a need for looking at the students as something other than the kids sitting in your classroom, acknowledging that there's a need for a change, um, for a re reforming of, of the way that they're taught. Um, being aware of the resources that are out there to help you, um, we often get caught up as teachers in the day-to-day, -day meeting the standards, checking off what needs to be done, but we lose sight of all of these other things that are out there. and we sort of treat anything that's different, that's sort of 21st century thinking and technology and tools and strategies as the extras. Um, and so it's 
reading that thinking and saying, no, it's not the extras. It is the way it is. These kids are this way. They need these things. So it's looking at that. Um, not looking at it as the technology first. Um, the kids don't look at it as the technology first. They don't walk in a class and say, oh, look, we're using iPods today. They're looking at what are we doing in class today. If it happens to use iPods, it happens to use a laptop. It just sort of goes with the flow. It fits into how they think. It's not an extra to them. So approaching it from the activity in the curriculum instead of approaching it from the tool. And then allowing for student-created products. And this is also something that's difficult for teachers to turn, instead of being the sage on the stage, trying to be more of a guide on the side. And that's even for me, thinking about being in the classroom, it's something that's difficult for me to say, how would I do this? Um, that was the emphasis in the article three years ago. And I'd say that not a lot has changed. Um, we still have these kids that are in our classroom with a different perspective on things that have grown up with technology that I didn't necessarily grow up with um, that are looking to us to learn something, but it's almost like we're speaking two different languages. And I think that 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 situation is still there. I think it has gotten better. Um, I think another person on our panel can speak to how it has changed. Um, my mom now texts, which is a big deal to me. Uh, but three years ago, I didn't text. My mom didn't text. And the only people that I knew were texting were middle school students, high school students. So things, our way of thinking has changed. And we are sort of merging that digital native, digital immigrant person into more of a digital human, um, which is a newer Mark Prinsky thing that's out there. Um, I'd say just being consistent and sticking with what was said before in the, in the article, you know, being aware that there's a need for change, looking at those 21st century skills, seeking out help and the resources that are out there, and there's out, more out there than there ever has been before, and being organized and systemic about the approach. Um, our discover method. Like we said, we think it's kind of long and might not be realistic for a teacher to use that. But having some kind of um, organized approach to how it might be done. Um, there are several people out there that have come up with their own mnemonic devices for um, coming up with lesson plans or activities, um, seeking those out, or just saying, OK, looking at the Partnership for 21st Century Skills, um, looking at their site and seeing what they might suggest for looking at like English curriculum, for example. Um, if you wanted to teach writing, what, how much you approach teaching of writing and giving the students um, choice and perspective so that they can succeed with their knowledge. And that's what I've got. <laughs> yes, Emily, what would you like to offer to that? OK, so as you can see, where are we now? And Emily touched on that a little bit. When we first met to prepare for tonight, we, we talked about you know, what has changed since we wrote this article in 2007. Can you guys hear me? OK. Um, is there still a literacy crisis? Is there still a divide between the natives and the immigrants? And um, we think that there is. There is still a crisis. I think that the difference between the immigrants and the natives, the gap is narrowing. In fact, something interesting I found, when, uh, the, as Lynn said, um, Mark Prinsky, who coined these phrases, digital immigrants and digital natives, I went onto his website and he has a new article that um, coins a new phrase, which is digital wisdom. And he's come up with this phrase because <laughs> He's come up with this phrase because he thinks that the gap is narrowing and we need some new terminology. But there is still a little bit of a divide. Um, but as we looked into what's changed, we found that there's a lot of new technology and kids are even more um, tech savvy than they were three years ago. But there still is a literacy crisis. They're very fluent, but they're not um, literate. So. That leads us into the next portion, which is what can we do as educators to help close that gap? And so I'm going to hand this over to our teacher and mentor, Teresa Kaufman. Hello, um, this is Teresa. And I just want to say that my students here have done an excellent job with both the article and their method. I think they're, they're saying that the Discover 
might be a little long, but I think that when you are critically looking at information that you need to take your time and you really need to sift through and think about. And that's what I'm going to talk about just a little bit. We're, we're going through a culture shift as educators. It's, it's our responsibility to meet the needs of each learner in our classroom. And the question is, how, how can we do that? And just something to think about. And a question, again, is to consider how can we as educators create an authentic and meaningful standardized curriculum that goes beyond memorization and simple facts to higher order thinking and creativity, kind of discovering information. We've talked about digital immigrants and digital natives and the disconnect in culture of these two groups, how teachers and students kind of have a gap, a different accent between the two and the different language that is spoken. Now we are told that we must begin to bridge this gap and provide access to opportunity for our students to think critically about topics. But again, how do we do this? Throughout the history of education, there's been a battle between traditional teaching methods and the need for memorization of facts. Recently, with the influx of technology tools, specifically the internet, many educators believe that opportunities for their students are, are just growing, allowing them to go beyond the facts to inquiry. The time has come we're well into the 21st century. Our students are ingrained and embedded into technology tools. Again, how can we embrace this generation and the tools that it provides us and engage our students into inquiry and into the content and the standards that are important for them to be successful? This is a question that each of us needs to answer. And we need to go beyond the traditional, becoming familiar and aware with these tools. And that's the first step. In total, we are changing the way we incorporate content and using tools to enhance inquiry, collaboration, and communication of new knowledge. <coughs> we need to begin asking our students deeper level questions and providing opportunities for them to develop problem solving skills thus building inquiry skills, going beyond the simple facts, developing within your student the skills to think critically about your curriculum. For example, learning about the Constitution, moving from the textbooks to reading, trial proceedings, looking at First Amendment rights, encouraging critical thought around these ideas, leaving facts by asking questions, moving from facts to critical thought, about how these rights personally relate to their lives. Using primary source documents from the Library of Congress, the Constitution, again looking at court proceedings, newspaper articles, commentary, and then possibly creating a 30-second commercial highlighting the important points of the Constitution. Using these videos, teachers can, the next time you teach, and then bringing that level of thought even higher. Using tools that are relevant to our students' lives will help them connect more fully to the content. As teachers, we can help our students look at technology tools in constructive ways and incorporate them in order to solve problems and make discoveries. Technology tools can facilitate collaboration when incorporated into your instructional goals. Educators should become familiar with technology tools by using them constructively. For example, having students start a blog or comment on blogs and learn from blog posts by becoming familiar with tools such as Facebook. Teachers can learn more about the constructivist nature of this tool and the strengths of this social media website, such as sharing information and presenting ideas. 
teachers can use smart technologies such as interactive whiteboards to bring students into the content and the discussion and allow them actively to participate and experience the content and express ideas. And Google Docs is great. By incorporating creativity and critical thinking into our lessons, students move beyond learning standards and are able to begin critically looking at knowledge and discovering how it relates to their individual world. But it begins with you. You must take this first step of recognition, then slowly move beyond PowerPoint as a delivery tool, slowly moving from the front of the classroom, allowing students to use these tools constructively to create new and developed understandings. And as you move around the classroom, you are helping your students develop and build upon factual knowledge to deeper understandings of your content, all through inquiry. Key to evoking a student-centered learning environment is encouragement of critical thinking and exploration. For example, in a third grade class, the teacher can have students read a book such as One Tiny Turtle by Candlewick and encourage questions from students about the biology and science of the loggerhead turtle. Students are excited to inquire about these turtles' life and why they return to the exact place that they were born to lay eggs each year. Students take an active role in developing questions and then finding possible answers using quality resources such as the National Geographic website. As students are involved in inquiry-based learning, they continue to respond to the learning standards, focusing on marine life and migration patterns. This enhanced level of engagement allows students to think beyond the basic learning standards and to use everyday tools critically to help solve some of the questions that they may have about the species. For example, through further investigation, students learn how scientists track migrating animals and which tools are used to track these animals. Ultimately, they find out which questions have been answered by scientists and which questions still need to be answered. Learning a new language is difficult. But we must begin thinking differently ourselves, practicing, trying new tools to communicate and collaborate, using tools such as blogs, online communities such as Tapped In, and social bookmarking sites such as Delicious. We need to do this to effectively begin communicating with our students. Otherwise, the disconnect will continue. Here's some questions to ask ourselves. How can we modernize instruction to fit our changing audience and times? What will it take for us to accept our own immigrant ways of doing things so we can begin exploring how these behaviors might inhibit communication with our students? Some things that we thought about was Possibly observing and studying the behaviors of your students as they participate with blogs, massive multiplayer online games, instant messaging, avatars, and the many other technology tools. Begin exploring these tools yourself. Participate and investigate and discuss them with your students. Think of how these tools can be integrated into a specific lesson to enhance your teaching and overall learning. All right, thank you, Teresa. Before we um, open up to your questions and kind of get a discussion going here, which should be really the fun part, um, we wanted to show you a couple of links that we found that you may want to look into later. Um, the first being the Digital Generation Project by Edutopia. And this is a really great website. They've started this whole project on the digital generation, and they have pages for educators as well as um, students who give their profiles and talk about their views on technology. There's a lot of links from there to ways to incorporate technology critically. Um, digitally inclined, the next link is a survey report that was done for PBS. And it has a lot of current statistics from 2009 as to what types of technology are being used in the schools, K through 12 primarily, how um, the technology has changed in the last five or six years. 
what the preferences are, how teachers feel about how well things are working or whether they're worthwhile. Um, digital wisdom is the new phrase coined by Mark Prensky and his article is linked to below there which I think was already put up in the chat. And um, an actual survey, the last link that came out really recently by the FCC that talks about um, students need to be taught how to use Internet basics which is just kind of an interesting finding because here we are saying that they're so net savvy but a lot of them are lacking the real basic skills to be successful on the Internet. Um, okay, so I'm going to hand the microphone over to Emily to open up discussion and see if we can get some feedback from you guys and you can help us um, steer the conversation where you want it to go. Okay, one thing I wanted to mention, can I get a, can I get a smiley face or a check if you guys can hear me okay? No checks, no smiley faces. Can everybody hear me all right? Okay, I got a couple checks, a couple of smiles. Thank you. Um, if you um, are interested in these links, I'm going to go ahead and put a link in the chat window to my delicious, that sounds nice, doesn't it, social bookmarking. And what I did is I took the links from our presentation, most of them, and I'll go back through and make sure I caught them all, and I tagged them with the tag Christy, C-R-S-T-E, the organization name. So if you want to find these links, you don't have to come back to the PowerPoint and try to copy them in. You can just go to the site and then look type in that Christie link or tag and uh, you'll be able to find sites that have been tagged specifically for this presentation. And I invite you, if you did a presentation or if you have things that you'd like to share with us or with um, other people through Christie, go ahead and put that tag on onto a, a site and uh, that way when we're searching for Christie things that might be relevant to Christie, you'll come across it. Uh, so that's there. Um, Okay, so opening up to discussion, did anybody have any questions that they'd like to ask us or that they'd like to hear us chat about? I hear crickets. If you want to use the microphone, please use the raise hand icon okay. up at the top of All the right, screen. Since you don't really want to ask us any questions, which is fine, um, what do you think about the idea of digital immigrants, digital natives? in the classroom and can we can we turn it over to them or should we keep it on? Okay. Um, okay, what does Prensky feel about multiple intelligences? You know, he in his work Prensky does reference Gardner from time to time and I don't think that he he disagrees with the idea of multiple intelligences, but I don't I think that they kind of play together. In his most recent article on the hope Pardon me? Yeah, it really looks at the higher levels of multiple of Gardner's multiple intelligences. So it it doesn't look so much at the the lower yeah, higher order thinking skills. We're having sort of a discussion in here, but we can only have so many mics on at once. <laughs> so is that did that address? Okay, and that was a good question. If you need me to expand on it or one of our members to expand on it, please let me know. Okay, levels of fluency. It's true, not every student is a um, is at the same level and that's definitely true. Uh, what I would suggest as a teacher looking at that is that allowing students to be creative allowing them to have some choice, um, they are going to sort of rise to the levels that they're able to rise to and push beyond it with help from whoever's able to help them. Um, and part of being an instructor is going to have to be teaching them how to use things in the classroom that they might use outside of the classroom and building those skills up. Just like you, as teachers, you know, we don't necessarily walk into the classroom knowing how to use these things. So have people or resources to help us out. So some students will need more support than others to get started if they have a vision to use something in particular to help them reach their goals. And just like the teachers do. Can so you it hear sort me? of puts the teachers and the students on with them. Also, can you hear me while you're also on? Go ahead. No. Okay. Another um, 
that kind of t throws back to Mark Prensky's new term of digital wisdom because he kind of came up with that as a way it's sort of a spectrum, you know, where are you, how much wisdom do you have, and I think it helps bridge the gap between the natives and the immigrants, and it can also apply to students with different levels of fluency and literacy as well. So it may be that we're moving towards, instead of calling students digital natives and grouping them all together, there are students who are at different levels of digital wisdom. So I think there's, um, he put a lot of thought into that term. I think it really applies well as we're moving out of those two dichotomies into kind of a spectrum. Yeah. Nope, that was all. And if you look at that article, the link um, I think has been previously in the chat, but it's a really great article. It's got a lot of information in it. Um, I found it really interesting and very relevant. And I haven't seen, I have to go back and scroll up to these chats because I can't talk and uh, read at the same time, apparently. Could somebody expand on the digital pioneers? I'm not familiar with that term. Is okay, is that somebody, Teresa just explained, it's forging ahead, pushing through, learning? Well, I think it's also the idea that uh, teachers were pioneers. They didn't. They weren't necessarily natives, but that doesn't that doesn't mean they're immigrants either. That they can be pioneers. That it's another class. Yeah, um, so that was a good point. Somebody mentioned that students really aren't that great users of technology for education, and that can be true. Um, a lot of classrooms that I walk into, the teachers say, "Well, you know." That's fine and all good that they know how to use. They, they say they know how to use a computer and they they can click away, but they don't really know what they're doing. And part of our our job is to help them become conscious of what they're doing and help them to learn to use it for school. And it's not that you know the computer can't be used for fun at home and for things can be shown that like games can be used in school for learning, games can be used at at home for socializing and for fun. The two can work together. You know, it's a, it's a common skill that can be used for an educational purpose. So they might know how to toggle through something on an iPod, but they might not know that they can record something that happens in their class and put it on their iPod to use to review for school. So it's taking those things that they use every day, and that's what makes them the digital natives, but they might not know how to use them for constructive purposes in education. They might think that really a constructive purpose, but not for education. So we do, as immigrants, have to learn how to use it, um, but the kids have to learn how to use it in school. These iPods. <laughs> um, sometimes, it, you know, the, I'm, I use iPods just because it's the first handheld technology I can think of, though um, there are a lot of other technologies out there that you know, being used at home and at school. Um, the school can supply iPods at some point, but right now that's not really, you know, in our times, and our economy, that's not really feasible. Yeah, there's cell phones, <laughs> there's computers and audio files, and then sharing audio files online. There's, there's ways to do things that don't necessarily, you know, require controversy, controversy but Emily? Yeah, um, somebody, let's see if I can get back up to it, mentioned the PBS, um, the front line on digital nation. And it is really relevant to our article. It touches on a lot of the same points. And I'm seeing a couple of really good um, ideas here in the chat that the digital immigrants are really those now on the lower social economic level, which is probably true because a lot of statistics show that there is that percentage of the population that doesn't have um, access to the technology, so they are becoming more of the digital immigrants rather than a generational thing. Um, and that's how we as teachers and how the education system should be helping bridge that gap. We need to be providing that technology in the school systems and teaching them how to use that techno technology critically and efficiently and help them become help them discover that how to use the technology um, well and become literate with the technology. Um, let's see, let me catch up here. 
another thing, another relevant point somebody made was about going into the workforce. And as another reason for helping these students discover literacy with the technology, not just fluency, because they can, it obviously comes very easily to most of these students to play with this technology, um, but they're not literate, and that's going to hurt them in the workforce. They're going to be shocked when they go out there to their jobs, and just because they can text 500 times in one minute doesn't mean they're going to be able to do what's needed in the workforce today. Well, another thing that I'm thinking of, we're talking a lot about tools right now, and part of what you want to get away with is a focus on the tools, because the tools are going to be different school to school and class to class. You want to really think about it as teaching them the thinking that goes into this using technology, whatever technology it might be. It might be that they're reading something on the screen that's on the internet. It might be navigating through email, communication, um, how to communicate one another in a digital way. These are skills that they're going to have to be able to use. And that was part of that discover method, was how do you guide them through a process that creates that kind of thinking so that they're not just click, click, click on a screen, actually creating that consciousness thought I, and that cognitive I, recognition. I'm, I just saw a question from Maureen saying, how are you defining literacy versus fluency, which is a really good question because the two terms are kind of overlapping a lot in what we're seeing. And I think information literacy is a broad term that applies not only to technology, but to literacy across the board. Um, and when we're talking about digital literacy and digital fluency, um, we're incorporating information literacy to the use of technology. And then to separate the literacy from the fluency goes back to our analogy with children learning to speak. It's um, a natural process for a child to learn a language and to become fluent to be able to communicate in that language. But what they need to go to school and learn is how to become literate, how to read and how to communicate effectively and to use critical thinking skills. So that's kind of how the analogy we use for digital fluency versus digital literacy. Um, the students today, a lot of them, are very digitally fluent because they know how to use a lot of these tools better than we do sometimes but they don't know how to use these tools effectively and critically, and that's what we want them to achieve, and that's what we consider to be digital literacy. So we want to bring them from the point of digital fluency to the point of digital literacy. We want them to discover how to move from one to the other how, and to prepare them for the workforce and um, the future of this digital age with effective skills using the technology. Question. Those students know how to use Google, but it's not always the best search engine, and they don't know how to use it very effectively. Um, you know, they they don't look at they only look at the first hit they find, and then when they get there, they don't search around and actually look at it to find the answer. So you know, we have to teach them how to search. And I teach computers. I teach computer literacy basics. And it's a shame that chapter 26 is the chapter that teaches you how to search on the internet. And I always make chapter 26 the very first chapter that I teach. Because, like I said, they, they use the internet. They're always on Google or Wikipedia. But, you know, they don't know how to effectively find exactly what they're looking for. So we have to teach them that. We have to teach them the answer's not going to jump out and bite you. You have to look and you have to look at some of the links. And I think that when some of us, and we don't have to say our ages, but some of us when we were growing up, we were taught how to search and how to find information, um, but it was a whole different skill set because we didn't have that step of verifying um, and sh making sure things were valid because most of the resources we were provided in school were already screened before they entered our library or the Dewey Decimal System and we knew that they were valid. I mean, there were maybe some journals or magazines that were kind of more fluff, but we didn't generally use those in school. So that's a new step that we have to use um, with all this technology. The kids can find anything on the Internet and they have to learn how to know what's valid and what's not. And Lynn, what was your, what was that example about the tree octopus? That's a funny story. You should share that. There, there's a website out there for the uh, North Pacific tree octopus, and it's totally a joke, but, you know, some kids 
think it's serious. So, you know, they, they have to learn how to look at websites with a critical eye and, and look for original sources and, you know, look to see the website address, you know, is it a .com or a .edu or a .gov, because those are all important things and, and you get more uh, good data from, you know, a website that is educational friendly and, and not a company or a joke. So, you know, I have my students create a PowerPoint about the different states uh, that are out there and you know, each student gets one state and I tell them I want them to include the state motto or slogan and you know, invariably one of the students will put down for you know, New York, at least we're not New Jersey or you know, West Virginia where it's legal to marry your brother. I said, that is the, that, where did you get that? And they show me the website and I said, well, didn't you notice it says joke right in the email address? So they, they, they need to learn these skills where to look and how to find good information. Um, if, I, if you scroll up a little bit, Wendy Liska is talking about um, she has a new school and they're trying to make kind of their shopping list of the technology they wish to have and she poses a really good question. Um, if they want to teach things a certain way, what do they need to have? Is it important to have an iTouch and a netbook and a laptop or can they find a tool that's multi-purpose? So let's open that up. What does everybody think about that? I mean, what do you think are some of the most important tools today and what would we recommend for Wendy? There's so much out there. I don't think there's necessarily a correct list. I think it's a matter of, you know, what you have access to and making the most of what you have. Oh good, here we go. Netbooks, tablet, PC, HP's touch smart. Everybody has their favorites. Let's not forget they have phones. And there's a, I don't know, I haven't been teaching this year. I'm actually taking a year off, but um, there's a lot of debate as to whether students should be allowed to use their phones in the classroom. And um, that could start a whole other conversation as to is it right for us to prohibit certain technologies in the classroom that could maybe prove to be academically helpful. Right, it's a whole other topic that could be a, a um, conference in itself, I think, um, whether or not they can use their digital devices in the classroom. Um, but I think you know, what people have been saying all through here is you know, the, the tools, the kids have the tools, they know how to use the tools, they want to use the tools. It's a matter of the schools sort of matching to the kids' abilities and their needs and also refining those needs as you've been, as you've, as you've been discussing, Emily. Um, I like Blair, let's see Blair's point and then I see a comment about Wikipedia. I'm trying to stay caught up. Um, it's right, Wikipedia is one resource, one resource and that goes along with literacy, knowing where to look, where, you know, what, what it is that you're looking at and how to use it. Um, so it's not always a tool, sometimes it, it's a resource or um, something that's created. But Wikipedia can be a great starting point um, but it you have to teach those critical thinking skills to go with it. Discover. Woohoo! <laughs>
textbook. We take apart computers, we look inside, we label them, put them back together. So there's a whole bunch of different activities that we do. Uh, it's not straight 90 minutes of uh, typing and deadly boring, as Maureen mentioned. Okay, I'm going to intro um, a video, and we're going to try this and see how it works. Um, we created a video that went along with this journal article, and we put the video up in YouTube and TeacherTube, and we spent a long time on it, and we have to, we laugh when we watch it now. You're allowed to laugh, but you won't hear the music. So, but it goes along. <laughs> There's a story. Um, but the um, video itself, we chopped part of it up, um, fast forwarded so that you could see the part that deals with the discover. And feel free to chat alongside while I pull this up. And we're going to try this. Okay, make sure. I don't know. Yes, that's what I'm working on. And let's see. Let's see the thing. Oh, working on it. <laughs> Come on, YouTube. No, not that one. This one. Okay, while Emily is setting that up, let's do a poll. Um, if you look underneath the participants box, there's a green check mark and a red X. So how many of you are high school teachers? Check green check if you are, and red X if you are not. Ready for me to cue that up, or are you doing you're doing a poll? Okay, so can can you guys see that poll that I just put up on the screen? Okay, cool. So there's our high school population. Um, let's go ahead and everybody clear, and then let's do another poll. How many of you are middle school? And how many of you are elementary? And how many of you are sleeping? <laughs> Not getting a lot of answers here. How many of you are actually technology resource teachers in your school? Oh, good. Is anybody? Um, Above K-12 here today? Couple. So we've got a good, diverse audience. All right, Emily, are you ready with the video? Let's go with me to YouTube and see how this works. OK, it's going to bring up the video from the beginning. So I'm going to we, we hear the music, but they don't. I'm hoping. <laughs> if you hear music, give us a check. <laughs> All right, I'm going to pause it and let it load. Is it? Okay. We're just going to let it run like it is, but let's, we can continue the dialogue on the side while it runs, if you'd like. Yeah, just do a try only for a little bit while that runs.
Okay, while this video is wrapping up, we just have some scrolling wonderful quotes. Um, does anybody have any questions? We've kind of talked over everything we had planned, but if there are any other questions, we'd love to hear from you and address them. Eight bit junkie. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Ann Cohen. Okay, so in case you couldn't hear me while the video is going on, anybody have any questions before we wrap up here tonight? We've I think we've tried to give you um, all of the pertinent links, and you're welcome to use the video if you like it. And I believe, Walter, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe there's some contact information through the conference if anybody has further questions yes. after the session. Absolutely. And we also have your original article in the handout section. If you uh, are at all willing, we'd love to post the slideshow as well um, after the presentation. But that's your Okay, yeah, that would be people fine. People just love to get their yeah, people love to get their hands up. This was that great. great. We've had a number of presentations of the conference, but not many that have this feel of being practitioners right down there in the classroom. So really appreciating this presentation. Um, let me put the survey link in the chat window. Um, both Emily's and Lynn and Teresa, thank you so much for this presentation. Do you have any last words you would like to share with the group as we wrap up? I think I think we're finished. I love the comments and um, good luck to all of you in your quest for digital literacy. All right. Well, if you give our presenters a big hand and please remember to use the uh, survey link. You'll also get that link in your email and. As you know, as we wrap up, we want to clear the room so we can archive the session and share it with others. But thank you again, ladies, for your presentation. And thank you, everybody, for attending. And uh, we will move on to our last session of the evening in about an hour. <laughs>